Good morning. I say it's morning. It's about 11.30 mountain time here in New Mexico, and I've been up since 4.20, which is absolutely amazing to me. I've been up for seven hours. My sleep schedule is definitely all over the place. Um, I think I mentioned before in a previous episode, I listened to a guy named Matthew Walker from Berkeley have a three-hour conversation with Joe Rogan about sleep science, and it was absolutely fascinating. And it had really taken me about a year to get myself on a super early morning schedule. This is my second year as a school counselor, uh, switched over from high school to elementary school, and then started waking up even earlier. My wife is a is an early bird, and we were getting up 5.30 as sort of the standard time, and even earlier than that if we were going to go for a run or something together. So after about a year of that and very rarely uh, throwing myself off with a, you know a night out on the weekend or something, because I really don't have that kind of social life anymore, I pretty much had that, that pattern locked down and experienced a lot of the benefits. It's really an awesome thing to be able to go into work nine to five every single day, or not nine to five for me, I guess, 7.30 to 3.30, and feel good, feel present and awake. Um, on the rare occasions when I didn't feel that way, I really could tell the difference and part of the nature of my job is I need to be present. I'm, you know, I'm counseling kids and interacting with kids and kids like dogs and anyone else with their, you know, instinct intact. They can really sniff out when you're not there, when you're not present. And I hate shortchanging the kids by coming in all, you know, groggy and whatnot. So I'm really committed to being super present every day and very rarely will I choose to stay up late or do something that would intentionally compromise that. So I had this awesome pattern going, but then, you know, it's summer now. And I immediately took a road trip to North Carolina, which I just returned from a couple days ago. And that's tough. You know, I'm crossing time zones and staying in uh, other people's houses and hotels. So everything was pretty uh, badly thrown off immediately. Um, when I got to North Carolina... I was uh, crashing with my my best friend, and it's just part of our thing is to stay up late and drink beers and, and talk and whatnot, and so it was inevitable, and that's his pattern. He, he has a, a nine-to-five job during the week, but he was telling me that he and his wife always stay up uh, till two, three in the morning on Friday, Saturday and then, you know, stay up late on Sunday and get total garbage sleep going into Monday and, you know, pretty regularly get crappy sleep during the week. And, you know, they feel the effects of it. And, of course, I was proselytizing the gospel of Matthew Walker and uh, telling them they should check out that podcast and really try the experiment of uh, just committing to good sleep, you know, even on the work day. So I know it's going to be tough for my friend because he's still a part of the music scene and goes out to shows and plays shows, but um, definitely an experiment uh, experiment worth uh, making. 
Um, other uh, sort of health-related insights from the trip. Uh, again, uh, you know, I'm on this this uh, attentionology kick, and of course, one of the things I was hoping is that I was going to go and um, you know exercise every morning and do a lot of meditation and all this creative stuff, and pretty much, you know, that didn't happen. It happened more than it usually does on trips like that, but. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to do that, especially if you're staying at somebody else's house and all that. So I really wasn't, uh, you know, quite able to do that. And I was even hoping in the car, one of the reasons I was looking forward to doing a solo road trip when I was just going to be on the road for all those hours is I remember that being a, a source of creativity, you know, just having all that time to think and have your mind wander. What I quickly forgot though is you know I got in the car this is a new car my first ever new car and of course it syncs right up with your uh your iPhone or your iPod touch and I had all these podcasts and you know a billion hours of music in the library and of course I fell right into just uh listening to podcast after podcast and and music uh you know just continuously and it was uh it was insane I, I think it was uh, really not until I was about an hour or two hours out from my destination in uh, Carborough, North Carolina, that it even occurred to me that, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not recording, you know, podcasts and song ideas on the road and having all these great insights because I'm just flooding my attention with uh, input. And uh, so I finally just turned everything off to sort of sit with how I was feeling. And of course, I was feeling a little bit anxious, anxious to see, you know, friends after a seven year absence and and just excited to be going back to my hometown. And I just, just sitting with that for uh, a few minutes, I was like, oh, okay, there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on, you know, internally. And then finally I did grab my, um, my little handheld recorder and recorded a podcast from the road. So it was amazing though, that I, I really just basically forgot about that and just was, um, you know, all this, uh, all this input from the, from the road trip. I mean, of course it's hard to drive all those hours every day. And, uh, on the way home from North Carolina, I was well aware of what I was doing. I was just wanting to get back home and I was happy to have the podcast and the music and stuff going. So, but you know, it's, it's one of these things that I'm wrestling with now as I, uh, I have my first smartphone less than a year. Actually, I got it the beginning of the, of the school year. And I fell right into uh, what I was worried about, which was um, basically just looking at the damn thing all the time. There's so much in there, um, email, texting, videos, reading articles, listening to podcasts that, you know, can really command a ton of my day. And and just as uh, nine months was enough to change my sleep patterns, my attention patterns with the smartphone really shifted in nine months and I got into um, uh, some bad habits. I mean, podcasts are very interesting and uh, I'm really glad to have discovered um, podcasting as a medium, but uh, there's just so many interesting podcasts and you know, I could be having the, those things on when I'm doing chores, when I'm going for a walk, uh, 
all these times I would normally have nothing, no input to my mind and my mind could wander and I could have various thoughts and insights. Now I'm, I'm constantly flooding it. You know, when I'm in the bathroom, I've got the phone, you know, all the, it's, it's really a, it's a shit show, literally. Um, so it's something I need to think about. Um, I'm still, I still love the podcast, but I have to be a lot more mindful of just how often I'm flooding my attention with, uh, with things. Uh, what else can I tell you? Today, uh, I listened to a really, uh, I don't know, I, I was, it was surprising. Um, again, I was going for a walk and instead of just going for a walk out in nature, of course, I've got to have the podcast on and I depleted my, um, my library on the road trip. So I, I went to the Duncan Trussell family hour. Duncan is a, a weird, wacky, uh, up comic who's got a lot of, uh, I don't know, new agey, spiritual, psychedelic type of, uh, vibe to him. And his guest was Jack Cornfield, the famous meditation teacher. And, um, he runs a, a retreat center out in Northern California. And I've, I've been aware of Jack Cornfield and, and seen him and read a few things. And he's, he's, for some reason though, I've never been particularly interested in him. I don't know if he's, he was too mainstream for me or but, you know, whatever, I thought it might be interesting. I figured, you know, he had to be getting up there in age. And uh, I listened to this conversation, and when I was really surprised that he addressed a lot of the things that uh, are on my mind about this um, safeguarding your attention in this age of distraction and kind of outrage porn on social media. And he said a lot of things that... Um, I think we're really interesting in that regard. Uh, one of the things he said, talking about um, social media and e sort of echoing Tristan Harris's um, work, is Cornfield said, quote, The best paid psychologists in America are working on algorithms to grab the attention from your brain. And the best way to do it is the lower part of your brainstem through greed, hatred, and fear. So there he's talking about um, just all, you know, hate posting and all uh, stuff about Trump and the news that everybody's kind of flipping out over and um, pointing out that this is a deliberate uh, strategy on the part of the media to obviously get your eyeballs on different platforms and to grab your attention. And it works. And one of the things he said... Uh, is the following quote. Um, I'm going to cut my news down to 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes will get you the gist of it. So why run the rest of it through your nervous system? And then instead of running it through your nervous system, say, now I'm a free agent. I'm a human being and I'm going to do what's really true to my own heart. You sit, you quiet the mind, you listen inside, and then you see what your gift is. Uh, I really like that. Of course, I've also followed this strategy. I do not pay much attention to the news. I have a, the NPR news app, which I open up and forget about 10 minutes. It's more like 10 seconds I spend on it. Very rarely, maybe once a week, a story or a headline will interest me enough to click on it and glance at it. But pretty much I get the gist, you know, Trump did this, North Korea, this, that, and the other thing. And then I'm as aware as I need to be of what's going on. 
and uh, helps me make sense of various things I hear on social media and from people. But I don't, uh, as he says, you know, why run the rest of that through your nervous system? And that's, that's the part I find most interesting is that's what people are doing by consuming things that are designed to trigger their amygdala and, and release cortisol and all these other stress hormones. They're running this, um, this, uh, information and infotainment through their nervous system. And they're having to deal with the consequences of that, which is, uh, stressing you out, you know, fucking with your sleep, um, making you, uh, you know, when you're all outraged and stressed and pissed, you're not at your best, your communication suffers. You're probably, um, not communicating with other people in the, in the best way. You're just not at your best. And I like, uh, Cornfield's, um, prescription as well that, you know, instead of all that time, you could be spent quote, running that crap through your nervous system. Uh, you have to make some time to just sit quietly and listen, um, to your heart and his, his response of sort of what do you do in this world where, you know, at least it seems like everything's going to shit. Uh, it's very simple. It's just, um, sitting, listening to that sort of inner voice. And he, he talked about seeing what your gift is. And I really like that. He also mentioned, um, the following, and I forgot exactly who he was quoting, but uh, Cornfield said, quote, among the Dagara people in West Africa, it is believed that every child born carries a certain cargo and that your job in this human carnation is to deliver your cargo, your particular gift. So I, I love that metaphor of delivering your cargo because like, you know, like everyone, I'm struggling with the same stuff. Here I have the summer. It's like, what, what am I doing? Is what I'm doing self-indulgent? Uh, is it, is it important? Um, I have the summer off here and how should I be spending my time? And, and I like that idea of just sitting quietly, waiting to see what comes up and thinking of that as your, your cargo or your gift and delivering that gives it that sort of active uh, relational component that I like. So, you know, this podcast right now is me delivering my cargo um, and whatever else comes up on my other podcast on Head the Gong or my music or whatever I do, what I'm putting out on social media, my, um, my attitude is that it's this cargo delivery. I want to put, put positive fruitful stuff out there and not just, um, you know, trash talking and whatnot. So anyway, I highly recommend that episode, um, of the Duncan Trussell family hour with Jack Hornfield. And I'll throw that up there. Um, yeah, I was, when I was in North Carolina, I was definitely proselytizing about podcasts and because I was asking my buddy, I mean, I hadn't seen him in seven years, you know, like, what are you interested in? Like what's been, on your mind what are the things that you're into now of course we were into indie rock music and we each had our own thing you know i loved henry miller the author and um you know so every each one of us had our own interests and we were obviously aware of what those were we lived together we were best friends 
And, um, you know, I was telling him that, yeah, I'm just, I've gotten really into podcasts and he hasn't at all. His wife listens to some podcasts while she's washing the dishes, but he, it's just not something that, uh, has interested him, but he was curious. So I, I talked about, uh, the Matthew Walker and the sleep stuff and the general vibe of the Joe Rogan experience and Sam Harris is waking up some of the stuff that I really like. And, uh, we talked about Michael Pollan, the um, the author who's come up with this book. I forgot what it's called. Maybe Changing Your Mind. Uh, he's promoting this book now, and it's uh, I mentioned it on the previous podcast. It's he's talking about psychedelics and um, the potential uses of it. And uh, Eric was really my friend. He was really interested in that, um, and he, his wife, and I chatted about that for a while and Eric has done uh, mushrooms a few times and had you know he uh, which one thing I didn't know is uh, an early mushroom experience of his was really instrumental in his sort of launching himself into um, his music and he used to be he went to uh, Duke for electrical engineering and he was you know working in the corporate world making a lot of money and uh, but not you know not feeling satisfied and doing mushrooms was uh, like a catalyst for him and uh, just dropping all that and um, deciding to live a life, you know, of art and creativity and authenticity. So anyway, we were talking about uh, both of our interest in it and and DMT in particular. Um, Maybe we're sort of planning on uh, doing some DMT together in the future or something. But of course, I see the guy once every seven years. So um, yeah, so I was definitely, uh, proselytizing on the podcast, despite the fact that I, I just mentioned that I've been, you know, listening to too many of them. Well, one of the, the positives about podcasts, and this really struck me, um, in the following way. So being, uh, in, um, Carborough with Eric, I mean, within 10 minutes, the trip was worth it. We were immediately you know, telling each other the stories that sort of make up what's been going on with us in the last seven years. A lot of happened, you know what I mean? My dad died, his mom died, uh, all the all the shit that happened since I moved out here, everything I'm interested in, the things that I'm wrestling with, and, and the same with him. So we're just talking. We're just two friends talking, telling each other different stories and anecdotes, and it was really wonderful. I mean, I miss that so much. Of course, I have my wife here and um, a couple of friends here, but it's that's really what I didn't realize is how huge that is and and what uh, having a friend like him means is to have somebody that, you know, you can tell your stories to and who's really interested in your stories and vice versa. And so this was a dominant theme the whole time I was home, you know, we're just catching up after seven years and also other people, my, you know, I saw other friends there. And then when I was driving home on the long trip back, one of the first podcasts I listened to was, uh, Joe Rogan and Tom Papa. Tom Papa is a stand up comic who has his own podcast and he's just a super nice guy, just a very congenial fellow another like Joe Rogan, a great conversationalist. And the two of them just 
talked. It was just two friends talking. And this is what I love about that show. I mean, with Joe Rogan, it could be, you know, like I mentioned before, he could be speaking with Matthew Walker, who's an academic on a certain topic, or he'd be talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, or he could be just getting high talking about martial arts with a friend of his. But in this case, it was just Joe Rogan and Tom Papa. They're both dads. They're both stand-up comics. They're both just human beings, and they just talked, like just two friends catching up. And that's really what that podcast is in a lot of ways. I mean, Joe Rogan, and he's mentioned this, and so has some of his guests, is sometimes the only time they spend together is on the podcast. They're just scheduling that time in and catching up with each other the same exact way whether the mics are on or off. It's just two friends catching up. So listening to these two guys talk, and it's just, it was very clear to me what the one of the main functions of listening to podcasts have been in my life uh, over these last few years is that I really miss that exchange, that that two friends talking, just the exchange of, of stories. And of course, when you're listening to a podcast, it's a passive thing and you're not, it's a one-way street. You know, nobody is um, listening to me, but you're still getting that vibe and it feels so personal to just listen to two friends really deeply and authentically uh, just talk to each other for three straight hours. And so, yeah, I realized that's really one of the reasons why I've turned to this medium and the, the type of podcast that I like is just uh, people talking to each other in the way I'd like to be talking to um, my friends if I had any. <laughs> you know, I do. Like I said, I don't want to dismiss my one buddy here because he's he's really serving the only he's the only person along with my wife that I have that with but I still long for for more of it and um you know with my friend uh Eric there's really nothing that's out of bounds and we have such an overlap of interests whereas you know say with my wife I mean we we could talk about a lot of things but we don't have certain things in common so that's the beauty of, of friendship uh, and relationship as it really struck me is just that, you know, someone to tell your stories to, someone who's interested in your stories, someone whose stories you are interested in. And just that exchange and uh, is just so awesome. And it's just something I've really missed. And uh, so anyway, that that's one of the one of the things with um, listening to podcasts that I can say um it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's it's giving me a lot, but, you know, you have to know when to uh, put a break on that shit so you don't drive yourself insane. Um, that might be all I have uh, for this. I mean, there's a, I've got a couple notes on my laptop. You can probably tell that I'm shifting my face probably away from the microphone in an annoying way. Um, let me see here. Yeah, another another thing on the this attention um, topic... Uh, another podcast I listened to was Sam Harris was being interviewed by Dave Rubin, and he was just talking about, again, a similar thing, getting off of Twitter. Uh, for him, for Harris, social media was uh, not bringing out the best in him. He was seeing you know, people criticizing him, and he was reacting and jumping into the mix and defending himself. And he said something interesting, having just recently 
uh, he said 95, 90% pulled out of, of his participation is that, you know, it was like he was uh, under some hallucination. Like when you're paying attention to Twitter, it feels like the voices that are on there are very real and very front and center and very important. But uh, it's hard to really question, you know, are they? Um, and just turning it off and taking it off his phone and not paying attention, he just realized that uh, by just simply not paying attention to it, all that shit just disappeared. And I think that's um, that's something that I, you know, I think that can be applied to anything, you know, the news, um, any form of media. It's like if you were just a monk living in, you know, a monastery somewhere, you're not getting any of this stuff. It's just literally not happening. I mean, unless, you know, world events encroach on you in a way, like the nuclear fallout blows over your monastery, the stuff is just not real in your mind. Again, what you pay attention to is what you become. And so it's this idea of really safeguarding your attention uh, is just front and center for me. So that's... um. I bring that up as far as, uh, you know, Sam Harris mentioning that on his, uh, during his conversation with Dave Rubin. And uh, let's see, as a final thing I can mention here, um, I've, I've mentioned Sam Harris, Dave, Dave Rubin, Joe Rogan. Um, there's, there was an article in the New York Times written by a woman named Barry Weiss a few weeks ago, and it was uh, detailing something that's been dubbed the intellectual dark web. And it just so happens that a lot of the podcasters that I'm interested in are a part of this supposed thing. Sam Harris, Joe Rogan, uh, Dave Rubin to a certain extent. I'm not as interested in him, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like him. I mean, there's certain aspects of his uh, show that I could criticize, but there's a lot of uh, skeptics, uh, atheists, but not all. I mean, some of the people in this in this group, uh, I don't agree with at all. There's, you know, conservative uh, voices and um, uh, different people that uh, I don't resonate with, but I guess the idea behind this intellectual dark web is that there's uh, a series of conversations happening um, outside of the realm of the mainstream media that are sort of challenging common narratives and, you know, creating a space where open disagreements and discussions can happen without having sort of uh, predetermined taboos. And it's a real commitment to intellectual honesty and um, critical thinking, that sort of thing. So to that extent... It makes sense that I'd be attracted to a lot of these folks. At the same time, you know, there is this stigma attached to this this intellectual dark web. Um, it's been labeled, you know, alt-right and racist and this, that, and the other thing. Things I'm, I would obviously be worried about uh, being tarred with any of that stuff. And uh, I think people could say, you know, of course, you're a white guy, you're, you're into all these white guys, uh, you know, talking about how the world's becoming too politically correct and free speech is being threatened and X, Y, and Z. So I think that's a pretty simplistic uh, way of looking at it, especially since, 
you know, there are a number of women, there are people of color, there are conservatives, liberals, Jews, uh, Gentiles, all in this loose um, uh, group of people that, again, is being dubbed the intellectual dark web. It's like as soon as you name it, it sounds like a club, and then it's kind of easy to to criticize. But So, again, I don't consider myself a part of it, but I'm definitely interested in these long-form conversations um, that are really dedicated toward fleshing out ideas and not being self-limiting as far as, you know, you have to stick to a certain progressive narrative or conservative narrative. It's just wide open. If we disagree, let's let's civilly talk about ideas and hash it out. I, I've long been uh, attracted to this sort of thing. I remember years ago, uh, if we go way back to say 2010, there was that um, John Stewart had that rally to restore sanity in Washington, D.C. I think it was in response to like some tea party thing. I actually can't even remember now. Um, there was some sort of rally in D.C. I don't know if it was the tea party, but it was a right right wing conservative vibe. And then uh, Stewart and maybe Colbert had this rally to restore sanity. And I actually went to it with my wife. And uh, at that time, there was, there was this... Uh, a woman, I forgot her name, but she was sort of calling for civility in discussing things between the right and the left. And she, she started this Facebook page called The Coffee Party. And it, for a brief time, there was this movement to, you know, start uh, little coffee house discussions in various towns where people could just get together and discuss a wide range of ideas. And I actually went to one of these. I think I was in Carborough, North Carolina at the time at the good old Open Eye Cafe. And I went to this coffee party thing. And, you know, it sort of fizzled out. And then the coffee party had internal dissension and became a different thing. And now, you know, I don't know what the hell happened to it. But I only mention it to say that I've always been attracted to this idea that um, conversation uh, is where it's at. And so, you know, I'm... I, I'm definitely against all these efforts to shut down ideas that aren't fashionable or that people don't like. We have to have more conversation, civil conversation, especially you know in the in the divided state that we are as a country. And um, so I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, I just uh, was looking at my notes and wanted to throw something in about the intellectual dark web for whatever reason. But I'll leave it there. Um, I've rambled on for about a half an hour here. Um, this again is just part of me delivering my cargo. So I hope everybody is well out there and I will talk to you next time.